What is happening, ladies and gentlemen? And thank you once again for tuning into this episode of The Drop-In. You know, it's awesome to get feedback from around the world of people who have been inspired, influenced, uh, maybe started thinking a little bit of a different way because they watched one of the past episodes of this show. So I want to thank you all for tuning in, checking it out. You know, you hear something that resonates with you, uh, you know, get stoked, let me know, drop me a line. Something that you maybe think somebody else needs to hear right now. Like and share this stuff. We're available on almost every podcast platform across the world. So make sure to share it because that's the purpose of this show. Why I started doing a podcast in 2010 from my couch was to inspire others, to tell stories, to get people fired up, to get off the couch and make life happen. And so I want to thank you for tuning in this week, this month, this year to the drop-in. We're here at the beautiful NRM Studios, and they have been doing a banging job. Alan, uh, behind the glass, is just rocking it out. We got shows, new shows coming to the network all the time, and it's all to inspire you to be better versions of yourself. Almost every single show... On the network does that in some fashion. So make sure to check out some of the other shows here at nrmstreamcast.com. But today I have one of my greatest friends here. We have been um, collaborating on life, on other uh, different things that we've done uh, in the outside world throughout the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. We've been we've been friends for a while. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we met. It was pretty cool because it was at a skate park and I got there and and David was there with his sons and I just, you know, walked up polite, you know, anything you need, just let me know. You know, I've been skateboarding for a little while. You want any tips, whatever. And and then the next week uh, he was there again and we talked again and he said, you know, I've heard some rumblings of what you're into. I might be able to help you a little bit. And I'm like, all right, let's let's sit down and have lunch. And we met in Dearborn at this little Coney Island. I remember the day, and David walked in with a leather jacket on and stuff, and he sat down. And we, that was really the beginning of a multi-decade friendship where uh, different things, personal challenges, uh, maybe professional things that that we've wanted to get off the ground. We'll pick each other's brain from a spiritual perspective. It's like mind-blowing because we have some of the— and most incredible conversations. And it's always a pleasure to be able to introduce you to some of the people that inspire me. And so with that, I want to introduce you, the amazing drop-in audience, to Mr. David Newby. David, you know, uh, this morning's breakfast, I was telling you before we came on air, it was so rad, man. The conversation Mm. was so inspiring, and I want to thank you for taking the time to come in here and uh, be on the drop-in. My pleasure, brother. Glad to be with you. And we always have some pretty incredible conversations, you know, and I, as I open the show with, you, you never know who you're going to meet, when, where, how, you might hold the door for somebody, you might, you know, uh, whatever, step out of the way for somebody, and that person could end up, like, changing your life. And that's right. sort of the way I see how we met. Uh, do you have any examples of some random meeting that, that ultimately ended up changing your life? Random meetings. Hmm. So we, I think we coined a phrase this morning, uh, Godcidence. Yeah, yeah. God-led coincidence. Um, I feel like I've had a lot of those. I don't know why this, of all things, is coming up to me, but uh, a friend of mine on our way here, 
he posted on Facebook, uh, demon possession, real or not, like figment of someone's imagination. And uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, my mom and another lady were held at gunpoint by a demon-possessed guy saying he was going to rape and murder them. Oh. And uh, I watched this conversation for 15 minutes. I tried to call the police. My mom was like, call the police, you know. And police is spelled P-U-L-I-S in Filipino. So we couldn't find the police's phone number in the yellow pages or white pages in uh, 911 that's at work in the Philippines. So talk about uh, the randomness, how this connections is. I was 10 years old living in the Philippines. Fast forward to I get my mom on Facebook in like 2011 summer. And within two weeks, the guy that we lived with in the missionary house that was our chef, Ariel, shout out to Ariel, um, found my mom on Facebook. Oh, cool. Six months later, I'm in the Philippines working on a gold deal. And uh, I remembered this, and I, I connect with a couple of my mom's missionary friends, you know, people from around the world, a guy from Korea, another American lady. And I remembered, I was like, I was like, Mom, I want to go find our old mission house. So literally, she like um, messages me Ariel's cell phone number. I call Ariel in Switzerland from the Philippines. This is like a dollar fifty a minute. It's like really expensive to call international from the Philippines. And I'm like, Ariel, where did we live? He's like, it was Raparo Street. But I don't remember the address. It's just Raparo Street. So I'm driving up and down in the neighborhood for like these. I have these motorcycles with little covered sidecars. It's not like the World War II Nazi ones, but like like eight people will sit in the sidecar. It's oh. crazy. <laughs> and um, for like ten minutes, he's driving up and down the road. Could not find our old neighborhood or our house where we lived. So I'm like, hey, take me to the nearest internet cafe. He takes me there. I remember my mom's friend, the American lady, had posted a ton of pictures from the mid-80s when we lived there. We were there summer of 84. That lady was there like 83 to 86. So I go on Facebook at the internet cafe. You got to pay like per hour over there to use the internet. I find a picture of the of uh, the, the little like convenience store across the street from our, from our mission house. Mm-hmm. And I'm like asking the dude who was the internet cafe, like, do you know where this is? He's like, yeah. He's like, that's gate five. So I get back outside. I go to the motorcycle dude. I'm like, take me to gate five. It's like a three-minute ride. I get there. Girl, this is crazy. Within 30 seconds of me getting out of the sidecar and paying the dude, my old neighbor recognized me. And she's like, Marcus? And I'm like, no, good memory. Marcus is my brother. I'm David. Over there, the lighter skin you are, the more handsome you are. My brother is like a ghost with freckles. You know, so <laughs> he was like, remember that thing with the Ewoks? Yeah. Where C3PO, they're worshiping him because he's gold. My brother, that's how he was remembered in this old Filipino neighborhood. He was like the the cream, the cream golden god with orange hair and freckles. Uh-huh. But it was just so neat of like this whole uh, amazing experience of seeing literally after 15 minutes to complete the story about the dude holding us up at gunpoint. My mom was in, in nursing school. She had taken all these advanced psychology classes. You got to learn how to deal with people in all stages, like near death to giving a baby. And uh, after 15 minutes of trying to logically reason with a dude and it didn't work, she literally said to him, either rape and kill us like you've been threatening to do the last 15 minutes or in the name of Jesus, turn around and leave. And he put his gun down and turned around and left. Wow. <laughs> so talk about like like as a young person – I experienced two miracles in that trip. My arm was broken um, two days before we flew there. I used to do crazy, you know, BMX stuff, uh, you know, jump 30 feet in the air off of ramps I built and all these things. I was riding up a motocross, like 100-foot-tall dirt hill, and it was a really huge hill going down to get up to it. It was out in the woods in Wisconsin. 
I made it like 80 feet up the 100 feet, and then I fell backwards. I did not have enough momentum. And uh, broke my arm in three places. They said I would not be able to do anything like climb trees, crazy stuff like I like to do the whole summer in the Philippines. And I was like, oh, man, this trip is ruined. Right. Two days after we arrived, because it was a multiple compound fracture, they had to set it multiple times. My mom had to go get me an x-ray to make sure that the bones hadn't moved so mm-hmm. it would heal right. They're like, they had to x-ray me twice. And they're like, your arm is completely healed. So the beginning of the trip, we experienced a miracle. I, I consider that a miraculous healing of my arm. I was able to climb trees. I'm like a human monkey. So I was able to have a blast with my Filipino, new Filipino friends I made. And like we had this amazing experience of like realizing spirituality is real. You know, so it was a very uh, just like so many ways. It was a, so you could almost say that's like a coincidence of being in this huge mansion where there's normally like 20 people in the house. This was the mission's like national headquarters for the Philippines with only the four of us in the whole house. That mm. was crazy. But like the fact that I connected with our old neighbors in the really poor barrio, we stayed in that big mansion like a week of the three months we were there. So it's just like so many connections of getting Ariel's phone number, our old neighbor seeing me within 30 seconds of getting out of the motorcycle. I mean, the whole thing was like, um, now I'm like working on literally billion dollar deals. I grew up on welfare. So this is all God's grace. I'm working on billion dollar deals in the Philippines and I'm still in touch with my old neighbor's kids. Yeah. Like I got to know her kids. She just passed away a few years ago. Shout out to Glenda and her, her uh, four amazing kids. Um, but it's just so neat, like how the journey of life, you know, weaves together. We were talking about things sort of getting woven together and how does life integrate? It's, it's a really, really neat thing. Yeah. And we could do, which we might do in the future, a, a complete show on quieting the mind, realizing where you're being directed and embracing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could talk about free will, free will, ego, divine. I mean, that that's that's a whole nother show. We'll get into it on another drop in show. But, you know, uh, throughout your life, um, you you in my opinion, this is my opinion. You, you've sort of lived outside the box a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. when you talk about your story, nobody would ever think that you were like, riding a skateboard like if people met you on it, it depends what environment they meet you in you know mm-hmm. and, and that's what i think is rad like a well-rounded individual like you've you've experienced some some awesome things in your life ups and downs and the story is awesome uh lately especially with your new book which we're going to talk about on uh one of the next three segments beyond billions um, you're 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 looking at building you know generational wealth mm-hmm. how When did that idea start in your life? Was it early, in your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s? When did that come to you? I would say it was a uh, three-step process. Uh, The first was the day that I almost killed my son, Benjamin, my oldest son, when he was nine months old. Um, For like 18 years, only myself and my mother knew about that incident. And I had a lot of shame around it. And I was like, man, if people knew I came from this violent family background— uh, or just how messed up my family is or how messed up I am, they would reject me. And I had a real fear of rejection, so I hid that stuff. And um, from from 2012 to 2017, 18, over a six-year period, God really healed my heart of that. And so um, that, first in, that first step of being intentional about my legacy was I called my mom the day after I almost killed my nine-month-old. And I was like, Mom, like, you were never violent. You were always, like, a super loving, intentional, great parent. Like, I'm not related to my stepdad who killed one of my brothers. 
So, like, I almost killed Ben last night. Like, what the hell was this? She's like, oh, that's the spirit of murder. You know, your grandfather choked your grandmother to death in, uh, in front of me when I was eight years old, and your great-grandfather killed your great-grandmother. And I'm like, girl, that's the only time I was really pissed at her besides being a teenager, just normal rebellion. I was like, when the hell were you going to tell me this? Right. So at that well, moment— Well, it's not like it's dinnertime conversation, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, Mom, what's on your mind? Let me tell you about murder, son. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, while you're having, you know, like, leave it to beaver dinner. Right. Um, but, yeah, it was like I realized that she could have, like, kidded at that moment. I was thinking the other day about this. She could have, if she would have been afraid of rejection and shame, she could have hid that from me, but she was just very open with me about it. I got to you know, give my mom props. She's always been open and, and willing to deal with what is no matter how ugly it may be. So that was the first step of thinking multi-generational. I'm like, I am going to break this pattern. Like, this stops with me. So uh, I was trying to kill animals as a kid. I almost killed a cat when I was five, and I was literally watching it drown in the sewer. I threw it in the sewer. And uh, gleefully watching it drown. I'm, and uh, this dude that worked for the telephone company that was down the street, like, doing some of the electrical stuff, and I guess some of the wiring goes down underground. Mm-hmm. And um, he res- rescued it. And I remember I was so pissed that that cat got rescued. Um, my mom had to speak me 150 times for me to apologize. Like she would give me wow. 10 or 15 lashes and she'd be like, okay, you know that trying to kill an animal was wrong. You know, God creates things. We shouldn't be killing other people or other things. She's like, uh, you know, are you ready to apologize? I'm like, hell no, that cat deserved to die. You know, I didn't say F that cat. That's what I was thinking, like five-year-old version of whatever, mm-hmm. you know, screw that cat. And uh, after 150 lashes, I finally apologized. But my mom told me later, because I'm writing my memoir right now, uh, Reject to Royal, that she realized that she was dealing with the spirit of murder in that moment, and she had to, like, break it in me, no matter. It was like a spiritual battle she was in. So um, I got intentional about I'm going to be really create a, an atmosphere and a legacy of, like, love and being a, a great father and, and um, being a great provider and being a good husband and just being a, a good man. But that journey led me on a multi-year process of... Um, Realizing unhealthy patterns of men before me in my family and just men I was around. I think we pick up stuff from teachers, from people at church, wherever we go. You know, if our parents take us to their workplaces, we're on their friends. We pick up stuff from everyone. When you're a kid, we're sponges. And so um, there's a lot of stuff I had to release in that journey. And I studied King Solomon a lot. It's like, what's the opposite of ultimate foolishness? Trying to kill your own family members is ultimate foolishness. Uh, Ultimate wisdom is the opposite of that. So in studying King Solomon's teachings, he created $4 trillion of wealth in his lifetime. Um, By the way, I I don't know if I showed you this before. This is a coin that actually depicts the Queen of Sheba visiting Solomon. Um, Are you familiar with the story, her visiting Solomon? I am not. So it was customary. And by the way, this billionaire mentor of mine told me this story. It was customary for kings to give each other multi-hundred million dollar gifts when kings would visit each other. I didn't know it was of that magnitude, but I did know about some of the big, large financial gifts. So there's like a whole chapter about King Solomon's reign where it, where it covers in great detail the visit of Queen of Sheba, which is like modern day Ethiopia. Um, coming to visit Solomon. And she's like, I heard about your wisdom and your wealth and just how amazing your kingdom was. But she's like, I didn't believe the half of it. She's like, after I've seen everything, uh, everything about your kingdom, she's like, it's like way more amazing than I had heard. But she literally brought him a $500 million worth of spices. And, um, and he like literally gave her a gift uh, of equal or greater value when she left. So just like that idea of um, living a culture of blessing, like that's the ultimate example of, of a blessing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, hey, imagine if I came over to hang out with you and I just valued you so much that I just happened to bring you $500 million of gifts. Right. I mean, right. that is how kings of, of countries rolled back in the day, kings and queens. And this was not like, like a, like a one-day trip. Like back then, they're literally by camel taking like a two-week trip from Ethiopia up through the Egypt Peninsula into Israel. So, like, you got to bring a bunch of military dudes to protect that stuff. Right, right. If you, like, imagine, like, imagine the presidential motorcade, they shut down all the roads. Imagine if there was a a presidential motorcade uh, 50 miles long. Like, that's the equivalent of what Queen of Shiva did. So um, that just level of creating a culture of honor, a lot of that I picked up from Solomon. And you can actually learn a lot from what Solomon did right and what he did wrong. Because with his kids, he did not strategically enough, um, even though he gave them the best instruction manual ever, the book of Proverbs that he wrote to teach his kids how to be successful, he was foolish in his old age and his kids modeled that. So I talk of that in Beyond Billions. Like, we can learn from what people do right and wrong in our lives and from historical figures. Well, and that alone, especially right now, you know, um, uh, not that we're going to dig into this completely and we're coming down to the end of our first segment, but, um, you know, parenting uh, is, you know, people could learn a lot from that, that it's not all about just telling folks what we did right, Mm -hmm. but learning from what we did wrong as well and being humble enough to say, man, that was an error in judgment. Right. Um, I can make a shift and I'm not going to try, you know, I'm going to try to give my uh, kids better counsel or my my friends and family better counsel because I learned from that experience or learned from somebody else's experience like Solomon. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're not completely genetically uh, predisposed to be exactly like our forefathers. We can make shifts. But I hear the music, and uh, I want to thank you all for enjoying this first segment. Tune in. Segment number two is going to be just as rad. So I want to thank you all. David, thank you for spending some time here with me, and we'll be right back. This is David Newby. I am Gerald Valley, and this is The Drop-In. I like the uh, graphical. 